Welcome to the Trap One Podcast. My name is Mark McManus. Joining me this week to discuss episode nine, It Takes You Away, from the Time Ladies and the Time Team, uh, making a rare foray into something that doesn't have time in its name, is Beth Axford. Hi, Beth. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> I love that introduction. Yeah, it's weird how many time things I'm in. I feel like, like, it's, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I really enjoy the time team. It's always been one of my favourite features of um, Doctor Who magazine. It seems like it must be a lot of fun to be part of that. Yeah, it's great fun, you know. Like, um, I think the best thing about it <clears throat> is that... Sorry if I sound a bit croaky, by the way. I have got a kind of weird cold going on. Um, but yeah, the best thing about it is the friends I've made and then getting to see new sides of Doctor Who through them. Um, particularly where my friend Miles or my friend Zainab, you know, they come to it with a completely different view of perhaps I would come to it. And I think the last time I did a time team, actually, me and Ben brought up the question of um, what representation means or, you know, how it is to be a female fan or a fan of, you know, colour or anything like that. And it's, it's just so interesting that all of our perspectives are so different and people always are... Uh, talk about the political correctness of the time team but actually it just makes things so much more interesting and you get so many more different opinions than than you know if you were just to go to the fans that have always been heard if that makes sense yeah absolutely I think that a big part of it is is yeah like you say experiencing it through somebody else's eyes isn't it it's like when you've got a favorite movie and you want to show it to your partner or your, your friends or something like that it's um there's a real big appeal to that I think yeah, and it's like when when you hate an episode and then somebody can make you see it in a different light or when you love an episode and somebody can be like, oh, actually, this is why I don't like it. And then you're like, oh, you know, it, it just completely changes your perspective. And I think it's really nice because all of us are open to that as well. So, mm-hmm. um, like, Kezia, for example, says that I change her mind about Clara sometimes because of how positive and, and how what my view of Clara is compared to how she sees her. And it's just so interesting how different stories and characters and time periods of Doctor Who hit different people I suppose especially watching the classic series as well which we all pretty much love and if we don't love it we still love it because it's kind of stupid or rubbish or like the you know I think the classic series is much uh, easier to look back on and enjoy because it's so far away mm-hmm. so even if it's bad it's still enjoyable yeah if that makes sense yeah I agree yeah so what's something I always wonder other than the the series 11 ones do you know what episode you're going to watch beforehand or is it kind of a surprise on the day? Mostly it's a surprise. Sometimes Ben, if you know, sometimes if I ask Ben, will tell me, um, you know, what we're watching. But most of the time I think he tries to keep it under wraps a little bit or he'll tell us maybe what the theme is and um, mm. we won't always know. For example, we have one this week um, where I know sort of what the subject is, but I don't really know what we're going to be watching yet. So, um yeah, it's always really exciting. Sometimes we, we have to know to to bring certain, like, props with us potentially for a photo shoot or to wear a certain thing. Um, or maybe if we have to watch one in advance to prepare us for another one sort of thing. Um, but I think the first few we didn't really know. So, that you know, that was it's, it's quite fun when we don't know, to be honest, because that's the fun of it, like coming in and being shown a story and you don't know what's what, you, what you're going to be presented with. And it, it's really nice. Yeah, that, that sounds cool, yeah. Um, and the Time Ladies, has, they've just been a phenomenon, hasn't it? It's kind of uh, gone from strength to strength. 
Oh, it's really nice. Yeah. It's really weird when people say that. I guess like it's it's. I suppose yeah, it's been very successful, but. I suppose, like, because I look at it through my eyes where it's just like, if something isn't always happening, I'm like, oh, I'm a failure. But I think that's the same with everyone, isn't it? But, yeah, I just want it to keep having, I guess, keep creating um, space for people to be able to voice their opinions. And, yeah, I just want more and more people to get involved, really. I think I wish I had more time to do that, Um Unfortunately, me and Kezia both have full-time jobs as well as the time ladies, which makes it quite difficult. But uh, our, our favourite things to do are to get new writers um, <clears throat> to do different stuff, people who maybe haven't written, you know, for this type of thing before or um, haven't had their Doctor Who opinions heard before, but also just expressing exactly the type of stuff that we would want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's basically where the original idea came from. We were just like, we want to see, you know, perhaps makeup posts from Doctor Who like you know people's makeup or fashion posts and then we were like we also want to see this stuff from women and that stuff from women so that's kind of uh, where where it started off and yeah it's just been go ever since great what I love is just the enthusiasm and, and the obvious love for Doctor Who which um I mean you would think would be universal throughout a fandom but unfortunately isn't so um yeah it was uh, it was like something that that where that love kind of really shines through yeah I think there's no point doing something like this if you're going to use it to be a negative voice or to, I mean, obviously we all have criticisms and we mm. do post about them. We do our time ladies debate posts, or if we have a review, we'll, we always say things that we don't like, <clears throat> but I've had a lot of people say that we're being biased or, and things like that. But gen, genuinely all of our opinions are our opinions. Um, and we are just guess more positive people, or we tend to look at things in a more positive way. Cause I just think negativity can just be such a, like, it may sound stupid, but, it really is such a downer on everything. Yeah. Like, there's really no point. I think if you don't have something nice to say anyway, there's no point saying it um, unless you say it in a constructive way. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, you get, like you say, you've got to have an opinion and everything, but it's the it's the stuff, you know, when you see, like, oh, the 10 worst stories or the 10 worst things, and you think, why, why are you writing that? Yeah, that's... There's, yeah, there's really no point to it, I think. I think, I think it's really interesting to talk about um, the positive and negative sides of certain <clears> themes, you know, <throat> um, especially in series 11 where it gets a little bit more political with the, um, you know, the sexism and the racism and all of these kind of things. Uh, but just, I think people can get lost in, like, in their hatred sometimes. Um, and then at, at the Warp convention in Manchester a few months ago, somebody um, uh, came up to me in Kezia after a panel, can't speak, after a panel, <laughs> and she said, and... I can't, remember, I can't remember who they were. What did they say? They said that they were really thankful for the Time Ladies and it was the first place they felt like they could be themselves and be in the fandom because everywhere else they had gone, they had just gotten hate or they just had their opinion shut down or they didn't feel comfortable because it was so negative. And I'm, you know, to hear something like that is so crazy to me that out of everywhere on the internet this one person only felt comfortable in our space and I just think things like that make me realize why we we need to carry on doing it even though sometimes it gets hard with all the you know we get sent a fair share of hate which luckily I've gone to a space where I can just laugh at it or ignore it now but for a very long time you know a few months ago it really affected me and really affected Kezia and our mental health um which is stupid because it's all just from like the only reason we do anything is from love for something and for you know, wanting to make friends or help people or 
you know, just be a place for people to to be themselves. Um, so yeah, I think I think people just get very stuck in their own hatred, and I, I feel like it's a cool thing on the internet, or maybe it used to be, or isn't anymore. But to, to shoot things down and yeah, kind of snark, isn't it? Yeah. anything instead of taking something for what it is, they're just like here's all the negative things about that story. You know, yeah. for example, last night's episode, like, oh my God, there was a talking frog. This is horrible. Blah, blah, blah. All, all this stuff that I was seeing. And then there was all these positive people like, oh my God, talking frog. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so Dr. Who. Do you know, like you, you have to, you know, I just think you can always look at these things in a more positive light. Yeah. And I, I think some people really do choose not to sometimes. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, and um, I was at the Vought convention, uh, and uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to get into your panel because they actually had to close it, didn't they? It was um, the. Uh, this... uh, that was really weird. Uh, yes, that was a very odd situation that I was not prepared for. Um, it was so nice to have so many people want to um, to see the the actors who are being interviewed. So Sophie Aldred, uh, Nicola Bryant, Kate Manning, and Crystal, because. I guess it's like hearing all of those, all of their stories all together. And um, it, was, it was really nice that people wanted to see that and really nice the support that we got, you know, afterwards and beforehand as well. We got a lot of people saying that they just, you know, just they really enjoyed it and they really loved being there. And that was so lovely to hear because it was actually, it was, you know, you were there, it was a hard panel. Um, there was no like microphone, there was not enough yeah. seats, that sort of thing. Um, I feel like I can't really remember what happened because you know when you, you're on that adrenaline you're like yeah. I don't know what's happening I just need to get things <laughs> um, but it was it was an amazing experience and seeing all of those people in the audience was it was like it felt like the time ladies but like in real life so what I see on yeah. on the on, on our Twitter account or on the blog or whatever but it felt like a really big community of people who came together for a positive reason because they love the show and they wanted to celebrate um, you know the female companions and all of it and it, it was yeah it was such a lovely experience but the, the, the fact that it was closed and I think people got turned away as well like that was really daunting but I guess like really exciting as well I, I don't even know how to describe how I feel about that because I guess obviously they were all there for the actors but you know the fact that we were hosting it kind of it was like oh my god they you know they, our panel is packed so that was really exciting yeah it was great it definitely highlight of the day for me really good yeah thank you Thank you. Even the bit where uh, at the beginning when Crystal had to get on the floor. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so, Series 11, how, um, what are your sort of highlights so far? What are my highlights? You asked me that and I immediately forgot all of Series 11. <laughs> I think highlights me, there's so many. <laughs> um, I think, like, Jodie Whittaker, Jodie Whittaker, Whittaker's Doctor is probably one of my favorite doctors ever like she's slowly I feel like every time there's a new doctor that doctor is my favorite but mm. like really she's so she's so doctory to me and I really love that so I mean obviously Jodie is a massive highlight um Graham Graham's character I wasn't expecting to love him that much but he he's truly like he's like the new wolf I think um, yeah his personality and he's really you know all the fans love him they've got the same energy haven't they it's like that kind of i think like restrained emotion that um this can be quite affecting yes yeah definitely um i think his relationship with ryan is so um we all knew that it was going to happen we all knew there was going to be that build-up and then he was going to you know ryan was going to call him granddad but 
even when it happened in, in it takes your way, I literally <laughs> just sobbed. Yeah. <laughs> I just think even when you know it's going to happen, it doesn't, there's been so much build up to it and their relationship had really, you know, that scene in, in Arachnids when he was saying about getting the letter from his dad and, you know, talking about proper family and all of that stuff. Um, I just, it's so overwhelming when he just finally says it, I think. I just think I love, I love their relationship. I love how they've played that out. Yeah, and it was it wasn't really over the top, was it? It was it was quite nicely underplayed, and I thought the music yeah, was really so. good on that part. Yeah, yeah, I really liked how you know you kind of knew it was there, but it didn't get in the way of anything, and it wasn't a massive plot device or anything. It was just there in the background, you know. And oh, just yeah, and I love the way it wasn't sort of like then they had a big hug. It was uh, immediately Ryan sort of went back to taking the Mickey out of him, and you know saying. Yeah. Oh, and deaf in your old age or something like that it was uh, it felt so real yeah I really loved that scene and, uh, and Yaz as well I, I realise I'm talking about every character now but Yaz uh, is probably one of my favourite companions ever I think I love how she just wants to help and that she just wants to be with the Doctor because all she's ever wanted is to do more and help more and change the world and now she gets to do it because she's on the TARDIS and I think you can really I think lots of people can really resonate with that I think me in particular I I understand where she's coming from and I really relate to her in that respect. And when she was talking about being bullied in the witch finders, that really, I really felt that, you know, mm-hmm. I think she's got a, a lot of strength and it's just a really wonderful um, character that, that we have. We're really, I think we're really lucky to have the, the TARDIS team that we have this year, but I think in particular her character is so new. Like I feel like we've not had, you know, a young woman who is a you know a training to be a police officer but she wants to go out and she physically wants to you know I think feel like all companions have wanted to help but she really wants to change things you know yeah Um, I I really like the way her training plays into a lot of the episodes as well where she's she's so good at um you know kind of uh with with people like like she is with um with Honor in this episode yeah um, in, in a way that Ryan isn't. And I really related to that because I'm, I'm kind of no good talking to kids and stuff. Uh, yeah, so I, yeah I, thought, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And I like, yeah, it's kind of like, it wasn't even, it wasn't played as like a gender thing either, was it? Because I feel like sometimes they're like, oh, women are good with kids, men aren't good with kids sort of thing. And then it's like, she was like, no, I've been trained to do this, which I really liked because then it wasn't sort of pushed into like a gender category or anything. Um, yeah, and then last week um, the, the doctor says something like, uh, "I need you to do some family liaison." And yeah, even, even just oh, I love it. And then in Kablam, when she, um, uh, what does she do at the end with Charlie? She like grabs him and you know restrains him. Yeah, and then about um, informing um, the the family of um, I forgot the name of Lee Mack's character. Um, oh, Dan. Dan, that's it. Yeah, when uh, yeah when she she wants to inform his family, and obviously that's. That's uh, obviously a really hard part of the job of a police officer as well, isn't it? So it, yeah, think, um, it feeds through, it feeds in really well, I think. Yeah, you can just tell that she really cares, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, really love right. that. Um, but yeah, so I think all the characters are highlights for me. And then episode-wise, I'm going to say, I've been saying this in all the podcasts I've been going on, but the ones that feel the most Doctor Who to me are probably... Oh, it's really hard because they're all so good. <laughs> like, I feel like consistently the last few episodes have been so good. So I want to say Arachnids in the UK, Kablam, and It Takes You Away have all left me with this like, oh, so Doctor Who, that type of feeling. Even though I know that other episodes 
such as Rosa, Demons and Witchfinders are better stories. Those are the ones that gave me like that feeling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I've been trying to discuss this with everyone, just being like, I don't know how to explain it, but I just have this feeling. And then others, I feel like are more complicated and are sort of a newer uh, version of Doctor Who, for example, the, the themes that we're experiencing in Rosa and Demons. And they're really amazing, but just... And, and, I, and I still get that feeling of like, like how proud I am of the show for telling that story and how sad or heartbreaking or beautiful it is. But mm. uh, it's that, that kind of feeling I had when I was a kid of watching Doctor Who comes back in the more fun adventures. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's that thing, the, the really traditional Doctor Who thing as well, of, um, you know, the, the sort of the everyday being made weird and scary so like the the bubble wrap and the um you know yes. normal house spiders but grown to it grown to enormous sizes that kind of thing isn't it that that for me is is traditional doctor who yeah i think that's it you know and there's something about uh the doctor running around earth or normal kind of places and i feel like in arachnids and it takes you away that obviously on earth in 2018 um and then in kablam they're in a sort of retail kind of environment so it kind of all mm. I guess when it's like more linked to real life, it reminds me of the Doctor Who I watched as a kid, which was obviously I grew up with there, like series two and three. Which, which oh was my your... dog. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. So I guess that's why I feel that way towards those. Doesn't mean I love the others any less, but it's just that particular warmth that I get from those ones. So what was your first ever episode? Was that New Earth then, or? It was, um, I believe, I always get, I think it was School Reunion. Um, I'd seen bits of Doctor Who on TV before. Mm. I think I saw, like, a bit of a Savine on the TV once, and then I saw the last bit of Eccleston Regenerating, and then I, obviously kids just forget this stuff, so I forgot about it. Um, and then, yeah, I bought a sticker book in a, in a magazine shop, and for some reason I picked that one, the Doctor Who one even though my mum was like, you've never seen it. You're <laughs> but I was like, I want it. And it must have been the front cover of it or something. But um, I got it and then I read it cover to cover. And then I was like, I need to watch this show. Um, and then the first one that I sat down to watch was The Reunion. Cool. Great that's, episode to start with. That's a unique way of getting into it as well, isn't it? Via um, by the sticker book. It's, it's, do you know what? That's so young Beth of me. Like, yeah. honestly, I would <laughs> always do weird things like that. So it's not, it's not surprising. Um, I would do that for me, but I guess like for other people, it's like yeah. quite a weird way of getting. <laughs> but a great episode to start on. Oh yeah, and also for me, not really knowing anything about classic Who, that was like a really nice introduction to the whole expanded world of Doctor Who. You know, and mm. that's a nice way to start. Yeah, and again, that's got the the school, which is obviously a really familiar scenario to anybody, but with something weird going on behind the scenes as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think there's something about that that really in the newer episodes now I can kind of feel it in the background when they're running around you know a normal place in 2018 and, and yeah so I think that's that that part of me is from how I grew up watching Doctor Who um I think that that feeling is never gonna never gonna go away yeah. I suppose the thing about it takes you away it, it kind of subverts that because although it's 2018 and it's it's modern day earth because it's Norway, there are bits of it that are unfamiliar to like, British viewers and and the, the TARDIS team. So when they find the bear traps, they're like, oh, my word, there's something really wrong here. This guy's got bird tra- uh, bear traps in his shed. Um, yeah. But then I'm it's, just... well, yeah, there's bears. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's 
especially when the guy was like, there's actually bears here. And they're like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think that's really interesting because I feel like I didn't really think it was weird. But I don't know whether that's just because I know more about the world than like a childhood perhaps. I'm not really mm-hmm. sure. But yeah, I really, I really love it when they go to new places um, such as Norway or, you know, when they went to India and demons and all that. Um, but again, yeah, it's kind of like that little educational thing of showing different places on, in the world and, you know, talking about different cultures and stuff, which is really cool. Yeah, it feels like this season, probably the most since since the kind of Hartnell years when you had, you know, the Aztecs and Marco Polo, it seems to have made it more international and international history than, than we've had for a long time. Yeah, and I think that's really, really interesting because every single episode is so different. I'm like... In you know we've had nine episodes and they've had what two in Sheffield mm. and both of them drastically different as well and then all of the rest of them have just been on these amazing all of these amazing cases um, and so many of them taking place on Earth's history but like you know what one of one of them has been set in England I think yeah that's easy and Earth history. And that's, a, that's amazing what you think about it, because, you know, you think of series two and the historicals in that are sort of uh, Truth and Claw and Idiot Santin, which are both set in England. And, mm. uh, you know, I guess Girl in the Cypress is sort of France. But again, it's like with this season, you've got a bit of uh, a bit of America, you've got a bit of India, you've got a bit of Norway, you've got a bit of Sheffield. I, I just think it, I think it's really great. I think it's really accessible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so we should probably talk a bit more about It Takes You Away. Um, I, yeah, I think, um, going back to what I was saying before about the kind of like slight misdirections with the, with the, with the traps and things, I think the whole thing it's set up when you first start watching it, it feels like it's going to be a base under siege, you know, the kind of, the name of the story, the, the animal, the beast you can apparently hear in the woods and then the boarded up house, you think, you think, I know exactly where this is going. This is a, this is a base under siege story. Um, and then yeah, totally changes into something completely different. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? How uh, that how that writing completely went from one thing to something you would never ever expect. I just think, like, you know, that could have gone one way, and mm-hmm. it would have been a way that we all knew what was kind of going to happen almost. But it just was so unexpected. When they went into the into the anti zone, I was like, "What is this? What is going on?" And to have such exciting you know, Ribbons being such an exciting character yeah. and like a cool mo- kind of monster looking guy in the flesh moths and stuff. Like so much happened in this story. Yeah, absolutely. And and from that point, you, you couldn't predict at all what kind of story it was going to be or where it was going. Um, Not at all. Yeah, it was, it felt like it, somebody, I don't know much about the writer of this, obviously his first Doctor Who story, but it felt like somebody who knew the kind of conventions of it and yeah. knew how to play with your expectations. Oh my God, definitely. Like, I it it felt felt like something we kind of would have made. It feels like a mixture of like a Stephen Moffat, Chris Chibnall kind of mashup. I think because it had the kind of timey wimey craziness of a, what what I perceive to be a Moffat story, mm. but with the vibe of the Chris Chibnall era. Yeah, I I felt like it had a Guillermo del Toro sort of vibe. Um, if you've seen sort of like Pan's Labyrinth and and he did the Hellboy movies, so it's. Again, yeah. it's that thing of like uh, this kind of a, like a weird secret world that's just beyond our own. I think that was part of it, and just sort of yeah. the aesthetic, like the the flesh moths, seemed like something out of one of his movies. Yeah, definitely, definitely, I agree with that. It's um, 
it reminds me of something, but I can't quite put my finger on what, which is really annoying. But I know, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I love the whole mirror thing. I love how they flipped uh, the camera shots for the other world. Yeah. The, uh, and Eric's T-shirt and everything was the other way on. But it wasn't. It was never made reference to. It was just there for you to see. I thought that was amazing as well. Cause it really, really interests me and really fascinates me how people's faces change in a mirror. Because yes. you can really notice, for example, those pictures of David Tennant when, he, when his image is flipped. You can really notice how different faces look. So when that happened, I was straight away, I was like, oh my God, Jodie looks so different. Her fringe is on the other side. And yeah. I was so excited by it because it really fascinates me. So I, I thought it was so clever. And again, they don't reference it. So it's almost like if you didn't notice it, they're not trying to like reference their hard work of doing it or anything. It's just there for you to take in and appreciate. And I really love that. Yeah, and that kind of stuff really adds to the rewatch value, I think, as well. When it's um, when it's got stuff like that that you can spot on a, a second or third viewing. Yeah, I um, love when when I re- like. There's so many episodes of series eleven that I've rewatched. I've noticed things that I didn't take in the first time, um, such as especially because I normally watch it with subtitles on for the second second one round, so I'll notice bits of dialogue that I didn't notice the first time. Uh, you know, the bit where where I think Graham says that ribbon smells of wee. Yeah. He's like, not my wee. I didn't even clock that yesterday. Yeah. And I was watching on the today, literally cackling. I was like, why is that so funny? Like, yeah. I just I love how much they squeeze into these stories. Yeah. Um, and I really like the way with um, with Ryan, when he, he assumes that Eric has left, that that is, is obviously about his own feelings about his own father who left him. Yes, but I really, really, I really think that was done so well because... It's never said out loud, is it? It's Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's always... It's that, that kind of Chris Chibnall thing that, that can only describe the sort of, like, you can infer mm-hmm. why he said that instead of... He's just gonna. He's not gonna be like, oh, my dad left somewhere. Do you know what I mean? He's not saying it out loud. You could, but straight away you're like, oh, remember, you know, his dad isn't around and his dad's not very good. And you, you know, you can remember that from the from the other stories. Um, and then, you know, I can personally relate to that because my dad left before I was born or just after I was born. So you know, seeing the companion sort of talking about it or struggling with it or just like having it as a thing but not really letting it ruin his life because he has Graham I think you know that's really great and to see how he interacts with other people due to his experiences is really interesting because I think stuff like that really affects a person and changes a person you never know how someone is gonna react to a situation or how they're how they feel about stuff in life until something like this happens so I think that was a really interesting thing to see yeah, absolutely. It was, and and even that it had such a strong effect on him that he he doesn't believe there's a monster, which I thought kind of there's always a monster. Like, come on, everywhere you go, <laughs> there's a monster behind it. I um, guess it was kind of like maybe he has such strong feelings towards his father leaving that he's just like, yeah. how could it be anything other than a, a horrible dad? Like dad's dad, and also, but he was completely proven right. Like that guy just left his up to left his daughter for four days. Yeah, he was a terrible father, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, you know, I wasn't really happy with the the way that um, so there was literally only two things that I was wasn't really happy with in this story, but mm-hmm. not things that I would take out of the story, just things about the characters that I was like, oh, you're such a like. So I was kind of annoyed that Ryan handled um, Hannah's when, when he like grabbed her, yeah, and her into the room. I was like really annoyed by that because I was like, you don't. You just don't touch anyone like that. Like, don't do that. But I guess it was part of his development of like how he's treating her. 
um, yeah, because I felt like then the next time he said "grab my sleeve," that was kind of him learning that that yeah that that is that is the way to uh, you know to kind of interact with her. Yeah, yeah. So but I really yeah, like that they come back, the but time, that but one scene did make me a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I feel and like the on bit the... about sorry. No, go on. <laughs> no, I was just going to say the bit where you find out that her dad literally just upped and left her. I was like so, like I think. It's just so sad, like, that he would do that. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't change it because I, I love that that was the, the story, you know. But I just I was so angered by the fact that someone would do that, you know. Yeah, and I think it's not even just that. It's the cruelty of, of creating that monster. So she was living in fear for that time and, and yeah. hiding in the wardrobe and things like that. It was, um, yeah, it reminded me of, um, of actually of Bennett in The Rescue, like, creating a monster to keep somebody... Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, kind of keep yeah, them scared and... It was, um, yeah, that was, it wasn't, yeah, because he left her, but then, then doing that was, um, yeah, just, it, it seemed to add a layer of cruelty as well, which. Yeah, and, and, it's so frustrating because also the doctor then leaves Hannah with Eric at the end. And I'm always like, that child is, you know, she deserves so much more. She's so smart mm. and incredible. And, you know, she really, she really can fend for herself and, and, you know, she's gone through all this stuff for having to deal with Ryan and having to deal with people lying to her and having her dad literally leave her for four days to go off with her imaginary mother. And yeah. then she's just got to go back to living her life with him. And I'm yeah. like, not happy about that. What I did think yeah. on the second viewing was that um, when Eric sees what the doctor wrote on the wall, oh, yeah. I kind of think that is supposed to be the moment of realisation for him. Uh, maybe it's too underplayed. She does say to him, uh, Hannah does say to him, oh, you're sick and you've been sick since mum died. But I think that's such a huge thing for a child to have to take on, let alone say out loud to their father. Yeah. You know, like, a, a, I think, I, feel, I just feel like she could come back, man. I feel like her story is not done because she seems so incredible. Yeah. For a girl of her age. But, um, yeah, I think that was the moment he realised. And then, I mean, you know, we can only hope that they will that he will take her back to the city like he says and get on with their lives but it's still hard, so hard to watch after if it's almost unforgivable isn't it yeah yeah absolutely um the the as I saying about the way he kept me guessing this one when ryan found that speaker i totally thought honey was in it at that point um yeah in on it i thought oh no he's um he's been left with her and she's actually the the, the person that's luring them in um, so yeah, that was a, that was, I was oh no, and then and then especially when she slammed the door on him. Um, but then yeah, that was that was, it was just, so odd. I was like, how? What? Um, yeah, it, it's lots of twists and turns, wasn't it? Yeah, and then um, Ryan had a mark on his on his head after that, which you never see normally. Like people kind of get knocked out all the time and things in Doctor Who, and you you never really see a, a bruise or a mark. I noticed that at the end because I love makeup and stuff, and I was like, "Oh, look at that makeup job they've done his head!" Like, I hope maybe, maybe he can have a small bruise in the yeah. finale, just walking out the time. Please. Just showed how hard she must have smacked him, though. That was <laughs> huh? it was a proper belt with the door, wasn't it? It was like I know, I couldn't believe. Honestly, like I could never smack someone with a door. Like she, she was brave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I guess she just was really frightened. So it, yeah, you know, it was intelligent and brave of her to, to do all of this the stuff that she did and so yeah, I feel really sorry for her yeah yeah she was yeah a terrific character definitely um, and then um, find a bit more out about the Doctor's family yes With I loved that bit her favourite granny granny five 
That's, Do you think yeah. it's it's really nice that they've included stuff like that now? Because I feel like there's been a lot of talk about the Doctor's past and their family and stuff over the past few seasons, but, and then we kind of went away for it for most of like, went away from it for most of series eleven. But just this little hint of like, and it's the same character with the seven grannies and like things like that. I just it's a nice little bit of continuity, but. You know, people wouldn't necessarily pick up on it. You know, non non fans wouldn't. Yeah, you know, they would laugh at the seven granny thing. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, it seems like a throwaway line, but if you're obviously a long term Doctor Who fan, you're like, oh, this is this is new information. I know it's really cool. I wonder if there's anyone. I haven't seen anything because I haven't really been online. But I wonder if there's anybody moaning about it, like. Yeah. <laughs> not my not my seven grannies. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Well, the um, thing, the, love the, it. I love stuff like that. The thing I wondered at first, because she sort of says like Granny Five, and I thought, oh, is this the fifth incarnation of a Time Lord? You know, like the way people say oh, yeah. people um, refer to the Doctors by the numbers, and I thought, oh, Granny Five, that's like the fifth incarnation of the Doctor's grandmother. But then when she says that Granny Five used to say that was it Granny Two was a Zygon spy. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been, oh, that makes sense when you say it like that, actually. But I think, yeah, well, I mean, unless she's saying that her previous incarnation was a Zygon spy, but then I imagine, like, loads of grannies who were all, like, rivals and were, you know, kind of uh, spreading rumours about each other and things like that. I thought that's even more fun, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so interesting, because, like, hopefully we'll never find out anything else. We'll, like, we'll just have that. Yeah. Hopefully things finish, like, get hold of it or anything, and it'll just stay, like, that sounded really savage. I just mean, like, hopefully <laughs> they won't, because sometimes it's nice to have things unexplained, I think. Yeah, because we hear about an auntie, don't we, in Vincent and the Doctor? Um, I think the the device yes. that the Doctor has for looking for the, I can't remember the name of the alien in that one now. Graphaeus. That's it. Um, the the device that he used, he said it was um, a Christmas present from his auntie, I think. Or a, yes, no, no godmother, actually. I think he says godmother. Oh, they're all, like, all these little references. I want mm. to see, like, a... A doctor's family, family photo. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it sounds like he's got a big family from all this and he's got a granddaughter, but then there's other stories that reference what a lonely childhood he had. So you wonder if, if something terrible happened or whether he... Yeah, because also in Listen and all that, it looked like he was very lonely. Yeah, it looked, it looked like an orphan, didn't he, when in the barn? Yeah. So I wonder... I wonder how many of these things could be the doctor lying or pretending that you know, that they have a massive family yeah. and when they don't or, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I suppose we'll never know and I think that's what's really cool about it because I think the moment that we find out one of these things in specific detail is the moment that it gets, you know, the, the thing about the Doctor is that they're this mysterious character um, who just walks the universe helping out and I guess saying this is each family member and this is the exact timeline and everything. It, I, th- I feel like it would ruin that little mystery a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. So yeah, then the we get the the Solitract. I think I, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um it's cool, isn't it? Solitract. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Um that really I mean, I know I'm not to keep kind of saying it reminds you of other stuff, but I, I really kind of got a vibe of Omega from the three octaves, the the thing of sort of creating a world for themselves and yeah. wanting to reconnect with the, the kind of the real universe. The, yeah, I found it, it at first you're kind of like, oh, like, this thing is terrible. But actually, again, it's down to this one being wanting to connect with the rest of the universe and not being able to. And it's quite sad. And I think it's quite, the Doctor can relate to it, I guess, because she's not quite, you know, she's alone. She's not quite the same as anyone else. And, she, you know, it's all anyone wants, really, is to fit in. 
I belong somewhere. And, and so it's very, it's quite a sad story. Um, yeah. And that bit at the end of the doctor's talking to it had me quite emotional, can't I? <laughs> yeah, and then the doctor is prepared to to give up her wanderings in the universe and to, to yeah. keep the solid track company. That's, that's such a kind of a doctor thing, isn't it? To um... I think that's the very 13th doctor thing in particular. She's very uh, selfless and just wants to help quite a bit. I think she's always... I mean, I think all the doctors are like that, obviously, but she, she, you hear her, like, apologising for things a lot, like, I'm so sorry you had to go through this, and, you know, I think she's so kind and and ready to to sacrifice herself for anyone, really. Yeah. Absolutely. And then Grace turning back up was a, a massive surprise. I, yeah, I couldn't believe that. Like, I saw the, the shadow of her, and I was like, no. And I think I just kept going, no, 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 at the TV. And my mum was watching with me, and she was like, what is going on? Are you okay? I was like, no, it's going to be Grace. And then it was, and, oh, man, like, for that to be the third time that she's been in this series as well. Yeah. And two times since her death. But it doesn't get any easier for me watching it. <laughs> I'm still really heartbroken. Yeah. But I think that's Bradley's acting. He's, he's excellent in those scenes. Yeah. Good. Really good. Really good. And then having to lose her again at the end. Oh, I think that's the heartbreaking thing about it because it's mm. it's in a similar vein to... I guess any time that a companion comes back and you know that, that you know, Clara isn't quite Clara anymore when she comes back um, in Hellbent and all of that sort of thing. And it, it's almost just so unfair that they can't just stay, stay gone or, and when he just said, when he keeps going, like, don't make me, like, it's just so heartbreaking, but not really for Grace, but for him, because he has to make that choice and he has to say goodbye once more, even though it's not the real her. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I can't imagine having to to go through that. I, I did he it really well. Yeah, I did really wonder if he'd stay at the end because they'd sort of established that the solid tract could sustain one person. Um, that would have been heartbreaking. I actually think I would have. Like, yeah, oh, but the way he was that talking could have been such a a, a Rose Tyler, Mickey Smith way to go, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, and everything seemed to be leading to that when he was saying, oh, "I'm lost without you," and then. That the the sort of the Grace um, uh, kind of creation didn't know that she wasn't Grace. That didn't yeah, know, that they, they could have been happy. <laughs> yeah, they, they could have been really happy together. Uh, and I really thought, with it being the penultimate episode, uh, you know, this this could have been his exit. Yeah. Yeah, I thought for a second that it would be, but then I thought, I guess what they might be trying to say is that even though your loved ones are gone, you can still have the rest of your life and you can still do amazing things and be slightly happy, which is a nice a nice message to come out of it. But also, yeah, it would have been really incredibly heartbreaking and surprising if he had um, if he had stayed with her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I don't think we... we well, we didn't, touched on ribbons earlier, um, but well, yeah, what a great. great character and a great creation. I think that the, the person that played that character was really good. Yeah. I think sometimes Doctor Who monsters, especially just like people in prosthetics, their voices aren't quite right or their mannerisms aren't quite right. But I thought this this actor or, or whoever it was. Kevin Eldon, yeah. He's, um, or the actor Kevin Eldon, as, as he gets called. Um, he's, uh, he's mainly known for comedy stuff. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I used to watch him years ago on... Um, uh, Stuart Lee and, and Richard Herring used to do um, 
this uh, they used to do fist of fun and stuff like that, and and they'd often have him on. I think it's Stuart Lee that originally called him the actor Kevin Eldon because he did comedy stuff, but then he would do serious acting as well. Um, so yeah, he's one of those actors. If you saw him without the makeup, you definitely recognise him because he's been on tons of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I thought, it was, yeah, it was such a brilliant, quirky portrayal. Um, when when he sees the sonic screwdriver, the way he says something like "madam" like that, it's just it's yeah. Great, yeah, like the way it's so alien but so not weird. Like it just feels like a realistic. I don't know how it's really weird to describe, but I think like sometimes in Doctor Who, it's very hit or miss. Um, when someone's in prosthetics and they're playing alien. Yeah, he really delivered a, a fully he rounded character. Yeah. Um, and I think there's so many really funny, uh, <laughs> like I was taking some of the quotes that he said out of context and sending them to my group chat. <laughs> some of the things are so funny, like, um, and I thought the exchanges between him and Graham and him and the Doctor were really great. Yeah. But, uh, oh, bless him, coming to his sand end from the flesh moss. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it made me think uh, after the, uh, after the ghost monument, you know, the, the flesh eating bacteria in the water, but we never, we never yeah. saw somebody actually go in the water. Um, we, we finally got the payoff of some some flesh-eating creatures oh, in, in Series 11. <laughs> moths are absolutely disgusting as it is. Well, they just really freak me out. Yeah. So having flesh-eating moths has just like increased my fear by a million percent. Um, but I loved, loved the concept. I think, I think the whole anti-zone is such a cool... Like, they could revisit that and have anything. Do you know what I mean? And I really like that they've got that it's almost like the void in series two or or, you know whatever just earlier today i saw somebody had tweeted a picture that was like a behind the scenes thing um and it had uh the doctor and yaz and ribbons um and another really really cool looking monster that must have been cut from the final episode i think it was um cut because i mean i don't really know but i've heard some rumblings about it um it does look really cool I saw someone tweet that it looked like a giant moth, but I'm not really sure. I don't really know what moths look like. I'm close. But yeah, I really like the design of it. It's, it's a shame it got cut, but I guess like they do these things for um, good reason. I did see someone tweet that, um, how could they get rid of this monster but keep the frog, which I think is a bit, it doesn't really work because the frog is there and it has to be there for the narrative. Yeah. Whereas this monster clearly didn't add anything. It was, yeah, it was like, it was for, yeah, probably for pacing or timing or something like that. It was just such a cool looking creature. And I, I do know. really love that design. It is a shame because it feels like also they must have put money and time into that. Um, but I think also there's a lot of, there was a lot of characters and you had the flesh moths and ribbons um, as well as the, um, oh my gosh, I've completely forgotten what it's called. The frog, what's the frog called? The universe thing called? Oh, the Solitract, just- yeah. Oh, this that, that, that <laughs> word and the the saranga saranga conundrum. <laughs> Those two words are like of the type of words that go into my head and then go straight out again. Yeah. <laughs> so the solitract, um yeah, so we had solitract, we had ribbons, we had the flesh moth, and then we also had uh Hannah and Eric and then and his wife. So it's quite a lot of characters, so I guess there was maybe it was overcrowded or but you know, I, there must have been a legitimate reason because I, I feel like they wouldn't waste all of that money for no reason and sort of yeah. things. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it is really sad, though, because, that, like you say, that design is really cool. It looks quite iconic. Yeah, it's, just, it's kind of exciting. Having seen the episode and then seeing that, it's like there's a whole world in there with all these other characters and stuff going yes. on. So, like you say, it'd be great to revisit it, yeah. Yeah, they could easily reuse that design and just go back there because 
you know, it's like, it's a legitimate canon thing. It's like a, a zone between worlds to stop the universe from threats. So I, th- I think that's such a cool idea as well that, that, that I think, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that Ed came up with it. But I think that really could lead on to so many other stories that I really, I really think is really exciting. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And um, yeah, and like you say, the moths, it's, it's a cool thing, again, for, for kids, isn't it, to tap into those kind of fears because you see moths kind of outside your window at night and things like that. It's, yeah. It just has that little frisk on, doesn't it, when, uh, you know, like they've always done in Doctor Who, but, you know, like when Russell T. Davis with the wheelie bins, you know, he wanted kids to kind of get up on the on the on the bin collection morning and see a row of wheelie bins and think, oh no, yeah, it's, it's great <laughs> I, uh, when you do that. I think if we were in 2005, there would be a ribbons and flesh-eating moths character options figure set. Yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> It'd be like the cyber mats where you'd get about 10 yes, in the past. Yeah, like 10 little <laughs> flesh-eating moths and a ribbons figure, and then like you get his little knife as well, and maybe one of the little lamps, the lights. Yeah, maybe a 6 <laughs> totally rat. work for character yeah. options. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, maybe we're, uh, they're bringing out a um, five-and-a-half-inch Geordie Whittaker, aren't they? So maybe they'll expand the range from there. They are, yes. I'm waiting um, for a sample to come because character options usually send some stuff out to us to review on Time Ladies, cool. um, which I'm actually more excited about than I should be because, but like, I'm so excited to have a five-inch five figure again. Like, I feel like it's been so long and I really want them to bring out like a whole wave of them. I want... No, I want a Yaz, I want a Ryan, I want a Graham, I want... Um, the new just, TARDIS, yeah. Yeah, I want the new TARDIS. I'm just suddenly forgetting all the characters that I want. What characters do I want? Definitely want flesh-eating moths. I want, like, the arachnids. I want um, the... Yeah, Tim Shaw. Tim Shaw. I've just, I'm, I feel like my memory is terrible tonight. But, yes, I want all the characters. Um, yeah, Tim Shaw would make a great one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I hope they do more, honestly, like... Yeah, I've got maybe, a, maybe they might have to release them one by one and see what the demand is. I suppose. Yeah, we need to encourage everybody to buy the Thirteenth Doctor one, uh, so that they they see that it's um, it's going to be a worthwhile thing to do. Yes, we're going to put it in our yeah. gift guide. So hopefully, if anybody reads our gift guide, <laughs> they will find the perfect five inch gift. That sounds a bit odd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I won't advertise it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, I've got mine pre-ordered, um, so uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that arriving as well. Yeah, when does it come out? Is it next week? I think yeah, it said early early December. So yeah, hopefully any time. So literally just for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's that's perfect timing, isn't it? I wonder if it will be in like shops such as Tesco's or whatever, or whether it will just be a Forbidden Planet type thing. Yeah, it, it seems because I, I remember walking into Tesco and Debenhams and places like that, and them having Doctor Who figures. And as somebody who kind of lived through the wilderness years, that's that was jarring, yeah, especially when you see like the you know some of the classic ones they did, like they would have um, the mummies and the ice warriors and stuff. And you think in Debenhams, that's unbelievable. Yeah. See, for me, growing up, I grew up in like I guess like the height of Doctor Who merchandise being everywhere. So mm-hmm. sort of like so it was two, three, four, uh, and then it slowly died down the point where I guess over the last few years it hasn't been much and then recently I've been going out and seeing Doctor Who you know I've been seeing the books and the book charts and they had like a big poster in Piccadilly Circus on the um on the billboard and just little things like that where I'm like it's coming so much back into the public eye um it gets me so excited so I'm like oh hopefully I can walk into a into a supermarket and see you know a Jodie Whisker figure I think that'll be so cute 
Yeah, it's. Um, I think it goes through kind of peaks and troughs, doesn't it? And um, yeah, hopefully we're we're going to kind of get another wave. Yeah, but like like you say, I remember um, like those Doctor Who like kind of spaghetti hoops and all sorts, wasn't there? It, um, Do you remember the Froobs? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> God, those were my childhood, and I felt bad eating them because you'd have to rip the top off. I didn't want to like behead the characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, then it, I feel like that was the peak of Doctor Who fandom when there was Froobs and spaghetti. Hoops. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I, yeah, it was all yeah. It, as I say, I I started watching with season twenty five, so I only just kind of got just less than two seasons before it was cancelled, and then um, <laughs> yeah, and then it was like it, you couldn't find anything um, anywhere. So uh, when it came back and it came back so big, it was uh, yeah, bewildering. But that was a shock to your Fantastic. system because you like spent all this time struggling. Yeah, and <laughs> normal like, people, yeah. normal people were talking about it, and yeah, it was. Uh... <laughs> so I kind of feel now because I go to work and like people are talking about it, and I'm like, I genuinely get a bit shocked because over the last few years, nobody, uh, nobody anywhere I've worked has ever watched Doctor Who mm. or like watched it recently or is interested in it or anything. And I go to work now, and like literally half my office watches it, and or they watched it because I. I'd spoken about it because I like it and now they're like really loving it and then someone the other day in a meeting was like can we talk about how good this, this year's Doctor Who is and I was like yes <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we got Jodie Whisker um, at one of our events recently as well so like I work for charity sorry I didn't give you any context then I work for charity and they got Jodie to come to one of our we took over the House of Lords for a day um, and got girls from all around the country to talk and speak in the House of Lords and Jodie Whisker attended so it's just things like that where I'm like I can't believe Doctor Who is like so in the public eye that my like colleagues are chatting about it on a day-to-day basis asking me about it or you know it's in the shops or the newspapers or on the front of more magazines than usual or yeah. you know whatever it's just so exciting it is yeah it's uh, it's a brilliant time great and long may it continue i was gonna say do you have anybody in your life who maybe doesn't watch it normally has maybe become more interested since Jodie or yeah there's a couple of people at work who haven't watched it since David Tennant was the doctor and have come back to it now um, that's literally my life that's yeah. everyone I know <laughs> I'm slightly different because and um I know a couple of other people like this and I think it's a kind of a, a classic who wilderness years thing where I don't really talk about it at work or anything nobody knows I'm a big doctor who fan or that I do a podcast or anything like that um yeah I sometimes feel like I so when I joined they my manager sent an email around telling everyone about the time ladies, which was great <laughs> and ruined any chance I had of being a normal person at work. Um, no, it's fine. I, I don't, I try not to talk about it, but then people are like, no, talk about it. Like it's really great. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. And now pretty much everyone knows and I can't really hide it anymore. So I know what you mean though. It's because I think it, it's not particularly, it's not really a, a, a seen as a cool thing. No, uh, it never really has been, I suppose. But now people are, looking at it in a different way because I guess it's been 2018ified and you know it has all of these cool elements to it now um, yeah. so I guess I'm definitely more out and proud about it as I would have been a few yeah. years ago <laughs> I still just sort of talk about it like I'm just a casual viewer um, without kind of you know giving away that I'm really familiar with all sort of 55 years of the history of it and I, you can rhyme off writers and directors and actors and stuff like that because uh, yeah, I don't know, it's just a weird thing where I feel like I'd be then kind of labelled as... That's literally my life. I, yeah. I'm always having... Because I, I, my anxiety has been quite bad this year. Um, and I'm always, like, 
texting my boyfriend works in the same office as me and I'm always texting him like everyone's judging me everyone's judging me what have I just spoken about Doctor Who and he's like can you chill out like nobody cares <laughs> because I used to get really bullied for liking Doctor Who so it's such a to me I'm just like I don't want anyone to know and it's just like a defense mechanism yeah I know a lot of people who are just like why do you care what people think or like it's not a thing that you should not talk about but for me I'm just like oh my god like who is going to stop talking to me because I like this thing or who's going to label me as a weird person sort of thing. And really, like, it doesn't matter at all because we're in a culture now where most things, you know, Comic-Con is getting quite huge and fandoms are a lot more of a thing now than they were back, say, in the wilderness years or, you know, when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, It's much easier. And we have got it quite lucky now where I think especially me, you know, I can openly talk about it at work and not, not be judged for it and stuff. Um, yeah. It's still quite, I panic about it most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I know you mean, it's, it's um, even, even at, at my age, almost like loads older than you are, um, when it's, you still think about school, don't you? When you think, well, nobody at work can pick on you like they could at school. <laughs> it's almost um, like sometimes you get like a little reaction. Like sometimes in life you'll meet people who kind of, have the same vibe as somebody at school was. They'll make a comment that someone at school made and maybe they don't mean it maliciously or anything like that, but it just reminds you of that time. And I think that's why it's so hard, especially if that, because I think, you know, I was bullied quite a lot during my teenage years for for liking Doctor Who and lots of other things, but, you know, that was a big part of it. Um, And just for being different. And so I think... Doctor Who and talking about it with normal people is what I'm going to call them. Um, it's a little, it's a trigger for that because it's like this for a long time. This wasn't okay. This wasn't a thing that I could do. Mm. Um, I, you know, uh, it, it's just a very sore subject. I think sometimes those triggers are never really going to go away. Such with such as Ryan with his father, you know, yeah. <laughs> these things affect you. Um, and it's, it's a shame really, because it's the thing that we love so much and why should we not, why should we not talk about it? Why should we not let people know that we're making podcasts or blogs or whatever? And um, I feel very fortunate that I can talk about it at work and I'm happy to talk about it with most people now because I'm sort of slowly getting over the whole thing of having to hide it. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. Same same when I was at school. I, when I moved to, to where I grew up when I was about nine and I had a different accent and, and, and all this kind of stuff, yeah, and then... It's it's like Doctor Who is an escape, but it's also it's something else that makes you different, isn't it? That's the uh, yeah. I think I hid in, in my escape of Doctor Who, but then got bullied more because yeah. you know I was an overweight kid. I, you know, so there's loads of reasons I was bullied, but yeah, I was the same. And I'd yeah. hide more in Doctor Who, and then it would get worse because I was weird and I was different from everyone else because I was into this nerdy thing or this sci-fi thing or this boys thing or just all of these reasons. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's so odd, isn't it? The way that those things can still affect us now after all this time. Definitely, yeah. I um, and if you've read, um, I know we talked briefly about Paul Cornell before we started recording his book Chalk. Um, I haven't, but I mean, anything that Paul Cornell writes is good in my book, so I'd yeah. be happy to read it. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. Yeah, huge fan of his of his Doctor Who writing, every other writing. It's um, yeah, it's, it's basically it's a book about kind of school and and bullying and the kind of the scars that it leaves. Um, and it it really spoke to me. It's it's a fantastic read. That sounds phenomenal. I'm gonna like literally look it up after this. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's um, yeah, it's, it really stays with you. I read it last year, and I still just kind of find myself thinking about it sometimes. It's it's yeah. a brilliant book. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think it's uh, particularly when somebody you look up to so much, <clears throat> such as a writer on Doctor Who or anyone who's created on Doctor Who, for us, if they speak about things such as mental health or bullying, it resonates so much more because these people have created something that has helped you escape from those things. Yeah. Uh, so when Billy Piper spoke about her mental health in her book, back way back in 2006, that helped me a lot over, you know, my teenage years of, of relationships with food and, you know, she had anorexia and all this types of stuff. I think having people like the actors and actresses and writers and everybody who works in Doctor Who talking about things like that is just such a such a thing that's needed in in the world, um, especially for us. Lots of people who are in the Doctor Who fandom have, I think, issues to escape from, mm-hmm. uh, which is why we love it so much and why we look up to these people so much. So I think it's really great that you know they write they'd be writing about it. Yeah, absolutely. God, that got really deep, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Just pause for a sec. Yeah. Sorry, I, feel, I always take things too deep, and I'm like, why did I? No, no. I um, honestly, everything you said that it, um, yeah, it, it really uh, resonated with my childhood as well. It's, um, I think it's it's much better to talk about it, I guess, especially when you realise that other people will feel the same way as you. Yeah. Uh, and also, like somebody who could be a completely different gender, or a completely different age, or um, have a completely different you know, experience to you, but also the same experience as you, because I think when it comes down to it, that's just how humanity is, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a thing that's portrayed really well in Doctor Who, particularly Series 11, <laughs> just to get back on topic there. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I think that's what, you know, has been said many times, you know, Doctor Who is, is this kind of ultimate outsider who he d- does appeal to people who feel like that, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and you see them you know, standing up to the, the bad in the universe, which kind of also resonates because you're just like, I just want to be that person to, to stop all, the, all this all this bad stuff that's happened to me, like the, do- the doctor would, would sort that out. And, you know, I think I think it's really helpful in, the, in terms of the people that maybe we've become um, because it teaches you so much more than I think. I think the experiences of being bullied and all of that lead you to being a much kinder person or a much more tolerant person um which is exactly how you want to be and how the doctor is so definitely yeah yeah it gives you that empathy and uh, yeah yeah sometimes i think i have too much empathy because i like honestly cry at everything yeah. <laughs> or like whenever anyone's upset i'm just like oh my god now i'm upset <laughs> um can we just talk about how beautiful the the, the scenery looked though the Norway scenery yeah I was wondering about that whether they'd actually filmed in Norway or whether that was um, I actually don't know you know all of these things like, I feel like we normally know so much about where they filmed and stuff but this year we're just like yeah could have been anywhere yeah <laughs> that's it there's no Doctor Who Confidential or the um, uh, what were the web ones called that we got more the, recently the uh, Doctor Who fan show sorry the fan show yeah, the fan show, and then there was sort of online um, behind the scenes stuff that came out, wasn't there, about series eleven? Yeah, they should. Be. I'm sure they'll post some this week because they kind of post like little behind the scenes videos, yeah. like access all areas type things. Yeah, I think that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Um, I'm sure they'll do some because I need to know where they film that and I want to visit it. Yeah. <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah, it's stunning, wasn't it? Right. So uh, the finale next week. Yeah, this is. Uh, I know you were saying like the some of the names don't stick in your head. Um, no matter how many <laughs> this times, one I did not tell you. <laughs> no, no matter how many times I read it, um, it won't stay in my head at all. So uh, yeah. Is it the 
the Battle of Rans Rans for Rans or oh, Cav Cav. <laughs> I'm trying. I can only remember the remember. Battle of, to be honest. That's. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've got some of the the right letters there, but apart from that, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm gonna when I do the podcast next week, I'm gonna have to have it written down in big letters in front of me. I think that's uh, it's the only way it's gonna work. Yeah, I honestly think I have to start writing down Doctor Who words because I, I did a podcast um, for the Saranga Conundrum, uh, which is really a mouthful. Yeah. Um, and we literally had to start calling it the Bating Dilemma because I kept just not remembering the word every two seconds. Yeah, that was the Eruditorum podcast. Yeah, it? yeah, it was really funny because I was like, I, I honestly feel so bad, but yeah. <laughs> I'm so tired from like all the things happening in my life that just these words don't have, there's no room in my brain for these complicated words. <laughs> Yeah, think, and then and then like you know it takes a few weeks and I'm like I remember that now. Um, so I think there <laughs> was some, goldfish apparently. Yeah, I think it's something that Russell T Davies had a real way with, didn't he? But there was there was a poetry to the to those kind of words that you could remember them better. Um, yeah, some of the alien names and things like that. Obviously, when the um, the Jagrafess is kind of unpronounceable, but um, you know, like Raxacoracophalobatorius. There's a lyricism to it that you can remember it, even though it's a very long, convoluted name. Yeah, there is something about it, isn't there? I think, honestly, think there's something about Russell's writing that's so beautifully crafted that, like, those things just seem so natural to say. And I don't know how he does it. Yeah. I don't know how he does it. But I do feel like um, Chibnall's kind of ideas, like alien words and ideas and planets, have actually sat quite well. Yeah. because I think there's been some things in, in the last few years where it's been like an alien name or a planet or something, and it hasn't quite, I haven't quite believed it. Mm. Um, so I feel like things like the Pating, and they, they feel so like believable um, to me, which is really exciting because I feel like a child again. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me ramble on about deep stuff. <laughs> Not at all. No, that was, uh, that was really good. Uh, so uh, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me uh, at Oh My Stars with an O and a four, zero and a four. Make of that what you will. <laughs> um, and at the Time Ladies underscore. I'll put links to those in the show notes. I'm saying this as if you're not already like really famous. <laughs> no, oh, I'm not. I'm, I'm, sh- not. I'm sure nobody's going to discover you through this podcast. But uh. <laughs> oh, I, mean, I think we all have so many different audiences, though. I think it's really great to to share those and, and talk uh, about our different like people that get involved with our stuff so hopefully we'll meet some new friends through your podcast and I'll get some new time ladies to listen to yours definitely that'd be great uh so uh you can find me if you are a new listener through the time ladies at trap one underscore on twitter you can like the trap one page on facebook and find all our previous episodes at trap one.podbean.com um and please consider saying something nice on itunes if you have the time Join me next week. I'll be discussing episode 10, by which time I will have learnt the name, um, with Times champion author Chris McEwen. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.